do that. Let's go to Galatians 2 to begin today. I want to read a story, a story with which I think most are familiar, but I want to take a little bit different approach in, in addressing it and in, try, in trying to put ourselves in the shoes of these individuals. Galatians 2, Galatians 2 verse 1. Paul talks about his calling uh, initially in, in earlier chapters, and then he talks about after uh, being called, being a part of, of the ministry of, of Jesus Christ, and he says in verse 1, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem and with Barnabas, and, and I took Titus with me. I went up by revelation. So God, or because of revelation, God inspired him, directed him, Christ directed him to, to do this. So he went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel, uh, which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might or, or run or had run in vain. He says in verse 3, yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, Titus was a Greek. Not even Titus was compelled to be circumcised. A, a good bit of, of Galatians deals with that whole uh, concept of uh, in order to be a part of the church, were you, were, were you circumcised? Some were uh, still, teaching, still teaching that. But anyway, he continues here. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in these individuals who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that, that they might bring us into bondage. Again, speaking to the, the concept of uh, you must be physic, physically circumcised in order to be a part of, of the body of, of Christ. He says, uh, he says, to whom, verse 5, we didn't even yield submission for an hour that before, for, so the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was committed to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. Verse 9, and when James, Cephas, here talking about Peter, when James, Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, how, how God had worked through him through God's incredible loving grace to, to work this incredible work of bringing the Gentiles to, to the body of Christ, that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles. And they would be going to the circumcised. Verse 10, they desired only that, that we remember the poor, the very thing which I was also eager to do. And we come to the crux of it here in verse 11. So when Peter had come to Antioch, he said, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. Peter himself was to be blamed. The apostle Peter, the one who was... Uh, was leading much of the of the direction of the church and, and guiding and, and looked to as as the one to give guidance and direction uh, to to the circumcised the the, the Jews uh, who were part of the body of Christ. He says, "I withstood him to his to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, James." Uh, pastoring in, in, in Jerusalem, uh, before certain men came from James, well, Peter would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision, fearing those whose beliefs were still more tied to, to Judaism with respect to you're not to have any fellowship, you're not to, to talk, you're not to sit and eat with a person who is, is uncircumcised. Uh, again, that, that's not something that was scriptural, that they were, you're not even supposed to interact with someone who's, who, who's, who's uncircumcised. So he's saying they, they, got, they got caught up in this and they were concerned about the way this would be viewed by them. Uh, and he says in verse 
Verse 13, and the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him. So he says, even Barnabas, Barnabas who's with him, Barnabas got carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, he said, I said to Peter before them all. I went and approached Peter before all of them. They were there, they were hearing as I'm, as I'm directly interacting with Peter about this. He says, if you being a Jew, Peter, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. We know that story. It's it's an interesting one. I'd like us to step back for a second. Imagine being Peter. Imagine being the one with whom... Christ had to deal with a time or two. Peter got uh, zealous about various situations, and, and, and Jesus Christ had to set Peter straight. And here now, uh, Simon Peter is, is in the leadership role that he is in, in the church, serving God mightily in, in a variety of ways, dedicating his life to the work of the gospel, getting the, the gospel proclaimed and, and, and feeding the flock as, as he was, to have someone come to him and nail him. He nailed him, and he nailed him correctly. Now let's talk about cruise ships. Uh, it's an excellent segue, if you didn't pick up on that. When we, uh, when, when we vacation occasionally on a, on a cruise ship, I get the dreaded email afterwards. Would you mind just answering a few questions about, about your, your trip this year? Uh, okay, all right, I'll, I'll go through. Then, of course, you click on it, and then it's just question after question after question, one to five, uh, this or that. And then this, if you say yes to this, I actually went here once, then they've got another ten questions about that. But most of us have, well, maybe some of you never fall prey to that, but I, I, I fall fall prey to that, uh, as they, they want to know about about your trip. And I think, well, okay, I, uh, I, I've been instructed while I was on the cruise to, to make sure to let the cruise ship know if, if the steward, the cabin steward, did a great job in our, in our room to be sure and note that because uh, their employment uh, to some degree is dependent upon whether they get a good review. So I thought, well, there, there were several uh, on staff. Well, most, most of the staff's incredible on these ships. They're here, here to serve uh, our every need and, as I talked last week, to keep food in us every nine to ten minutes on the ship. So, you know, they're, they're here to serve. And, and I was thinking about our cabin steward. Hello, Andrew, or Sir Drew. How are you, Sir Drew? And every time he called me by name, he was there, there to help. And uh, I thought, I've got to, I've got to uh, give uh, a good shout out to David, who, who looked after us uh, this past cruise. But, so, but, but they ask all of these questions. They want us to critique nearly every aspect of, of every portion of the cruise. So uh, I, I did that. It only took me five or six hours, but I got through it. And, and of course, I did that on church time. So, uh, no, I, it, I was able to do it like 10 to 15 minutes. But, it, but uh, I answered a lot of questions. And, and they, asked for, they asked for critique, so I, I gave them critiques. One, one of my pet peeves, or one of my critiques, is the safety issue on the cruise ship. They are so concerned about safety that the last couple of years, if you... Uh, if you, you know, these, these, these rooms are so small, it's like you stand up and you reach and you're already at the bathroom. So there's not a lot of places you can go in your, in your cabin. Uh, go. <laughs> Get up and go to, anyway, sorry, I messed up on that. Anyway, we're leaving that, we're going forward. So it's a small, small cabin room. Uh, but they, they have this safety thing now where I, I guess people get up to go to the bathroom in the night and it's so dark that uh, you know, people run into things. Uh, so, so now it's this thing where once you get up, uh, a light comes on. It's like a motion sensor. And you know, I can sleep through just about anything, but, it, it, but Lisa doesn't. So uh, one time they had the, on one ship, they had the motion sensor right beside, uh, on my side of the, the bed. 
And it was to the point to where if I shifted in the bed and uh, the, uh, the, the comforter uh, got near that, the lights all of a sudden go on. It's like, oh, I just moved. I can't even move in this bed. I have to stay very still. Well, it's not there now. Uh, it's in, on this ship. It, it's, you make a little turn in your little tiny room, uh, this, and it's, it's uh, like a, a, where the closet is. But as soon as you make that turn and you're thinking, if I, if I slide up along the wall and get to the bathroom door, I can get in without the light coming on. But it, just, it gets you every time. So I, I, I hate the fact that I can't block that uh, because it's going to wake up Lisa. And again, uh, being the age I am, I only get up, what, 15, 20 times at night to go to the bathroom. No, usually, usually I'm saying way too much information. It's not that many times. But, but you know, that, that's a critique that I have. I wish there was something else they could do to do that. The good thing, when it was on the side, uh, we sh- shoved a pillow up against that, uh, and that worked. But now it's, it's up above us because I think people were shoving the pillows to the side. So now you, you, just, can't, you just can't keep from getting the light to turn on. Anyway, I critiqued that. I, they asked for it, so I, I, I criticized uh, in that respect. Let's talk about criticism today. Merriam-Webster defines it uh, a couple of ways, to find fault with, to point out certain faults. His boss criticized him for his sloppy work. Uh, And it can also mean, you know, like you say, a literary critic or a movie critic uh, to consider the the merits and and demerits of something, to to judge, to, to evaluate. And we we are critics of things, and, and critics criticize. Now, the term criticize can have a very negative, it tends to have a, a fairly negative uh, context uh, to it, but there is a place for that. So I would ask as we begin today, how do you and I handle constructive criticism? How do you handle constructive criticism? How do you handle criticism when it's not so constructive? How do you uh, manage that? How do you handle that? Would you say that you or, or we, uh, do we create or promote an atmosphere that demonstrates that we're open to critiques, that we're open to correction, that we're open to criticism as Princess Cruise Lines was with me. They want to know. They want to know. Uh, would you say that in your family, as, as the dad of the house, as husband or wife, uh, whatever your role as, as a child, as a teen, uh, do you create an environment individually that promotes an atmosphere that demonstrates that you uh, are open to criticism, that you are open to critiques, to being critiqued, that you are open to being corrected? Coming back to this story of of the Apostle Peter, the Apostle Peter, Barnabas, uh, being called out for what they did, this this being caught up in in hypocrisy in this regard. How did Peter and Barnabas take the criticism that they received? Where do we find how they handled that, how they managed that, how they got through that, how they went forward? I, I don't know where it is. I, I don't see it in the Bible. I don't see any other discussion about how they handled that situation. But we do have the books of First and Second Peter, the, letter, the letters that, first and, uh, that Peter wrote. And we, we see Peter makes a comment as in 1 Peter 2.20, what credit is it if we are beaten uh, for, for our faults if we take it patiently? Uh, he wasn't beaten in this uh, situation, but he was verbally chastised, wasn't he? He was verbally criticized for his actions. Uh, how did he take that? Well, the timing of that with respect what Paul's talking about with respect to the time when Peter wrote what he did in 1 Peter 2. Uh, I, I don't know which, which, which happened first. But Peter, Peter was used to being in this situation. My personal thought is, is that Peter handled it. It, it was probably incredibly embarrassing. It was uh, probably incredibly, incredibly eye-opening for him to realize, here I'm serving in this role, leading in this way, and I'm being called out for something that is so fundamental in, in what the church is doing and in what 
Jesus Christ is doing in calling uh, people from all walks of life here. I've gotten caught up in this. Uh, very, very rough. Well, when, when we think about this in our lives, do we ask God for help with this? Do we ask God for, for help in uh, being or creating an atmosphere to, to receive correction, to receive criticism? I would say this, I think as we do that, God will provide us with opportunities to learn. <laughs> he'll, he'll provide us with those opportunities. Let's talk about some typical reactions to criticism. And uh, put yourself in these, and let's think if any of these apply to us. When we are criticized for something, do we tend to fall into the role, and this is, this is one that will happen to me often, do we find ourselves feeling responsible for something that happens on our watch? I may not be the, the individual who, who caused something, but as, as pastor of these two congregations, if I get a call from another pastor that says, you know, this happened with this individual and it affected these, these people, I just, it's just, it's my nature. I feel responsible for that. This happened on my watch. This person is in my congregation, and this happened, and it hurt these people. Uh, and I can get, I, I can, I can tend to let uh, an action that happened here go directly to a reflection on me, and that I let that pastor down, I let that congregation down by not handling something maybe that I should have seen and, and handled. Uh, is, is that healthy? Is, is that accurate? I, I'm just saying that's something with which I struggle uh, sometimes. Do we get so caught up in how we've let someone down, or do we feel responsible for causing someone to view us negatively uh, that, to the point that some, some are unable to recover from the embarrassment and the hurt uh, over being corrected when, when someone does criticize or correct. It, it, it stifles them. It, it, it freezes them. And they'll, they'll feel a dark cloud uh, coming over them, uh, a gloom that sets in. Or, or does this happen? Some, some as soon as they're, they're criticized, boy, the defenses go up, and they'll lash back out at somebody. Uh, they'll double down. Sometimes they'll double down on a situation. I'm gonna, I'm, you said this. I'm going to come right back with this. This happened. This happened. This happened. I didn't do that. I didn't, you know, or come, come right back. You don't understand what happened, and then boom, come back. Do we tend to do that? Or, uh, kind of tied to the earlier one, uh, when, when we are criticized, do we find ourselves feeling so devastated that, that we've done, that what we've done is known? That now it's known that maybe not only this person knew it, but others knew it. Uh, so, or the, and as a result, that people could have developed a bad thought toward us. Or uh, that we think about that so much that we begin to allow ourselves to become consumed by that event. And we begin to define ourselves by the criticism that we've received. I know that happens because I've talked to many of you who have felt that in some of those situations. I know that happens with some because some of these can plague me from time to time. But I ask us to think about that. Another situation can arise uh, uh, in, in, in terms of criticism and this is something to, to spend some time with as well because this speaks uh, to the other side of what Peter talks about in First Peter 2 uh, in, in referencing Christ. Uh, slander, libel, false stories, some of those kinds of things being told of us, sometimes uh, where they don't have all the facts. People don't have the scoop on what really, really happened, but they've developed an opinion based on what they've received from this person and this person and this person. And we realize very quickly that we have been criticized wrongly. They should not have said that. That is not the truth. And even that can cause us to become swallowed up by the fact that others have gotten misinformation. And, and, and that's impacted us. We know that Matthew 5 says, blessed are those who are, are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Uh, that, that that is something that, that Christ says when those kinds of things happen to us, can we pull back and realize, ah, we're getting a taste of what Christ experienced. We are uh, happy, are we, 
when, when that is the case, because it, it, is, it is a trial, it is a test, it is a help, it, it is a way in which it refines us towards what is truly right and just, because it says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What, what's it getting at there? Well, was, what he's getting at is, is God sees all. God sees all and God knows what's right. And there are times when we are slandered, when we're libeled, when we're, uh, we've had these false stories told about us. Uh, or, or a little bit of information here or there that they've come to this conclusion and then criticize us for something that's way off base. God sees all of that. And is that good enough for us? Ask yourself that. Is that good enough for you when that happens? Or does it eat at you? Does it eat at us? And, and, and in we, as we have our down times in the day, as we have our down times through the week, when life settles a little bit, and then, boom, we start thinking about that, this, this way that we've been misrepresented. I want to talk about handling and, and managing criticism today. Let's go to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, the, the correction chapter. Hebrews 12. Sometimes I, I, I feel like I am... I've, I've developed over the years this, uh, the, the, a better ability to receive correction and criticism. And, uh, you know, and I think God's put me in jobs in my life to where I've had to face that and, and recognize I, I tend to be a bit of a pleaser uh, in, in life. So he, he's created opportunities for me to address that. Uh, to, to do what needs to be done uh, for the sake of, of the rightness of it, and also to handle uh, when, when people are not pleased <laughs> with something that I've done. Rightly so, and sometimes uh, not rightly so. Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12 let's read uh, through this, and I want to bring it, uh, bring it uh, home to us here as we go forward. Hebrews 12, verse 4, the, what's known as the correction chapter as well as our, our relationship with God as it, and being in his presence as, as we are, uh, as it talks in the latter part of the, the chapter. But Hebrews 12, verse 4, you've, have you, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed, as, as Christ did, uh, striving against sin, and you've forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening, the, the disciplining of the Lord, don't be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges the flogs uh, while tied to a pole. You know, Mr. Bennett talked about the, the, the horrible uh, depiction of what it was like for Jesus Christ to, to be there in that situation. Uh, he scourges. Uh, he was scourged prior to that. Uh, but, but God scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? Hopefully, uh, we as parents, as we need to redirect our children, uh, that, that we take on that role. Uh, any good father will do that, as, as he basically is saying here. Verse 8, but if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, well, then you're illegitimate and not sons at all. Verse, verse 9, furthermore, we've had human fathers who corrected us and, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, now, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. It's tough. It's painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without, without such uh, which no one will see the Lord. You know, God corrects us. He, he, he sometimes accuses us and, and calls us calls us out for, for what we've done or what we've thought or an, an action uh, that or something that we've neglected to do that we should do. And we all need course corrections. We all need criticism at times. And sometimes that criticism 
is not delivered in the way that we want it. It's not so palatable. <laughs> it's not easy to ingest and take in. But it still needs to be done. I, I think of, uh, let's, let's go to football for a second. We won't talk about the Super Bowl, but let's, let's talk about the playoff game before the Super Bowl. I hate to do this. We have uh, uh, Mr. Mark Morris, who was really hoping uh, for great things out of the Detroit Lions this year, but we'll, we'll use the example of that game. Uh, at halftime, uh, the score, if I remember correctly, and looking at the, the reports of the score, the halftime score between the Lions and San Francisco was 24-7. to 7. So you play that out. Uh, as things stay on, keep going as, as they're to go, that, that finishes the game at 48 to 14, a rout, uh, a blowout. Uh, those that, that follow football realize uh, that didn't happen. Uh, the San Francisco uh, 49ers came back and, and won that game and went on to the Super Bowl. Now, they didn't, they didn't make it all the way, but they, they got to the Super Bowl. One of the things that we see in both in both football and basketball, the way that is set up is you've got halftime. And it's interesting listening to the announcers as they talk about what's going to happen as they go back into the locker room. Uh, head coaches, the coaches are going to get together and they're going to begin to address the things that are not going right. Uh, how, how much of a happy atmosphere do you think that locker room was for, for the San Francisco 49ers as they're going into the locker room at halftime and they're losing by two touchdowns and a field goal? That is very, very tough to, to come in and say, oh, yeah, we got this, we got this. Conversely, think about it from the Lions' standpoint. They're, they're going into the locker room. What we're doing is working. It's working. We've got to keep doing what's working, while at the same time to be thinking about what's going, in, uh, what's going on in that locker room in the, where the San Francisco 49ers are. One of the things that I, I find fascinating about sports is, is, especially these kinds of sports, how you'll see as the third quarter comes out, sometimes you'll see just a complete reversal. And, and a, a team comes out with a, a fire, a completely different approach, and all of a sudden the other team can't handle it. Well, why, why has that happened? It's happened because of criticism. <laughs> it's happened because they've gone into that locker room and the coaches are seeing what needs to be done and they begin to work with the players. This is not working. We're doing this and you're doing this and this is a mistake here and this is a mistake here. We need to go back to the fundamentals of what we do that's right and we need to make these adjustments. If they receive that criticism and apply that criticism, all of a sudden they're off to the races and now that other team is having to deal with all the things that, that are happening on the fly in the middle of that half, uh, uh, in the middle of the second half. Uh, what, what, what I'm saying is, is it, it speaks to the ability of, of individuals on a very physical level to receive criticism and turn it positively. Let's look at Proverbs 29. Proverbs 29. We see it happen over and over uh, in sports. Little, little uh, critiquing that could make all the difference. You know, one little thing that, that a team is doing or a player is doing that with the right coaching and with that receptiveness to the coaching, the response is there and then we're off to the races. That, that's, that's what a parent does. That's what a father does with his children. That's what a mother does with the children because they love them, because they want them to win. They want them to win in life. This, uh, when I read this passage, it reminds me of a movie that I watched back in the 70s. I, I watched the TV adapted version, so I don't even know what it was rated because I just watched the, the TV version, the, the adapted for TV, and so they may have cut out uh, things. But I, I remember this as a kid. Uh, Proverbs 20, 29, verse 1. Receptiveness to criticism. Proverbs 29, verse 1. He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. You know what uh, movie that reminds me of? 
Cool Hand Luke. How many of you remember Cool Hand Luke? I'm going to see the aged here. Uh, okay. Not a lot. Not a lot. Wow. Uh, cool Hand Luke. Paul Newman. I said this up in Sherman. My dad loved Paul Newman because somebody at a grocery store or at a ballpark one time said to my dad, you look like Paul Newman. He, he never let us forget that in, in Paul Newman's uh, younger years. But Paul Newman was this, uh, was this young man that just, just did stupid things. He was really smart, really uh, witty and brilliant in some ways. But he just just did dumb things, and he drank too much one. This is what sent him to prison. He drank too much one night, and he was he had a metal cutter, and the cops caught him. And it was uh, I don't know two three a.m. And he had a metal cutter, and he was just cutting off the tops of parking meters one after the other. And they're just all oh, you just the movie starts, and you just see all these parking meters in the middle of the street in the city. They're just all on the street. And police get him, take him off to prison. And uh, what we have here is a failure to communicate. Those of you that have seen that uh, movie where the warden was telling this to Paul Newman. He could do incredible things. He one day just said, I can eat 80 boiled eggs. And, wow, well, you can't do that. I can do it. And then they started betting all the guys, uh, you know, in, in all the inmates. They, they bet, and, and sure enough, he had some guys that were rallying around him, and they boiled all those eggs, and he just started eating them. And I, I will never forget the imagery of Paul Newman eating those eggs. And George Kennedy uh, was, was coaching him, and he was massaging his stomach as he, you know, got 40, 50. You can do it. One more little egg. You can eat this little egg. Puts it down there, and he, just, and he makes it. He does it. 80-some eggs. Uh, you know, just incredible feat. Uh, but, but this is the kind of person that he did. They, they broke out one time just, just to break out. They knew they'd get caught, but broke out. And, uh, and then, and then uh, got caught again, and then he was doing everything that he should, but it was all a game because he was setting it up to break out again. And uh, he was cool, cool hand Luke, but he was, he was as dumb as they come uh, and as stiff-necked as as anybody ever was his mom came to visit him and she you know uh, Luke you know you always were this and this and this and I tried to do right by you but here you are you're still here yes mama yes mama I know mama and uh, and sure enough the the movie doesn't end well as as the scripture says uh, sudden destruction and that happened that way for cool hand Luke how are we how are we, those of us that have been often rebuked? I've been, I've been often rebuked, uh, and rightly so. Uh, how, how are we with that? Do we find ourselves sometimes hardening our neck a bit, or do we keep our neck supple to where we can, we can receive that, that we realize that, that criticism uh, is, is given to help us? You know, uh, one of the death knells, for, for an athlete, a professional out athlete, is to be labeled with this, with this descriptor, or with this adjective. He or she is uncoachable. You heard that? I remember a, a, a pro athlete that talked with me uh, about that. He had, he had been given that, that label at one point, and he said, I, I, I couldn't go anywhere. I, I, was, I was stuck because this coach had said this about me and this coach uh, had said this about me. But he, he, you get labeled as uncoachable, then nobody wants, wants to touch you. As a coach, uh, previously coaching uh, Kids, I've coached junior high kids, high school kids, and uh, college kids. One of the most frustrating situations as a coach uh, is working with players in this area. Players that don't listen, that, that aren't receptive to instruction, they aren't re- receptive to guidance, they aren't receptive to redirection. They're going to do what they're going to do. Uh, and it's especially sad when you see it, this kind of an attitude in a little kid. That won't listen. He won't listen to you. He won't. Won't. Here we are in a coaching situation. Won't even look at you. Uh, say you say something and acts like he knows it all. Uh, it's not going to go well for that child uh, as that child ages. That it manifests itself in other ways, uh, and that that child who is also loved by God will learn some very hard lessons, or maybe won't learn them, and end up uh, in a cool hand Luke situation. Uh, Proverbs uh, 14, verse 14, we, we can fall into that in our spiritual lives. We can fall into that any step of the way. When we're young and dumb and we don't know any better, 
We, we can get into that mode when we've, we've had things that we've always done a certain way and someone comes along and says, you know what, the way that you're doing that, that's not godly. That's not the right way to go. Well, who are you to tell me that? Uh, and, and that kind of a thing. And then, and then boom, we're, we're in that, that same kind of situation. Proverbs 14, Proverbs 14, verse 14 Proverbs 14, verse 14, uh, the backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied from above. You know, that's, that's generally how sin gets in and, and gets a foothold in our lives. To, uh, we, we backslide in heart. We, we see some things that, eh, you know what, I, I really should be looking at it this way, but I, I don't really feel like doing that right now. And, and we begin to be filled with our own ways, and, and it leads us to that time that comes uh, as sudden destruction. Look, look over a chapter. Uh, we'll look at two verses here. Proverbs 13, verse 24. Proverbs 13, 24. He who spares his rod, we talked about the rod uh, last time, but he who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly to, to try to get th- that individual to turn, to think, I got to get back on the right track. I got to help him, help her get back on the right uh, path. Here's uh, one, of our, one of our two anchor scriptures today. Let's go to Proverbs 13, verse 18 that gets to the heart of what I ask each of us, what I ask in my own life to, to, to think about as, as I deal with uh, criticism, uh, instruction, guidance, correction at times. Proverbs 13, verse 18. Poverty and shame will come to him who disdains, one who ignores correction. Yet he who regards a, a rebuke will be honored. How would you say you categorize yourself? Would you, would you say I, I you, are, are you or am I categorized, or you or I uh, characterized by, by being an individual who heeds a rebuke, who, who listens and takes in and thinks about a rebuke, a, a correction that we need to, to make? We see some examples in Scripture that, that speak to that. Let's go to a positive one first. Let's go to Acts 18. Acts 18. A very positive example. Acts 18. Folks preaching the gospel, and there was an individual that was preaching the gospel mightily and was well known for that. And, and people were excited to, to hear this individual talk. Acts 18, verse 24. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, he came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he only knew the baptism of John. He didn't understand the the fullness of of the baptism that we understand with with uh, what happened in uh, Acts 2:38 the gift of the holy spirit and all 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 of that so he began to so here this apollos began to speak boldly in the synagogue eloquent eloquent man fervent in in the truth but he didn't have the whole truth he didn't have the whole understanding and he began to speak boldly in the synagogue but when aquila and priscilla heard him this husband and wife heard him they took apollos aside and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. Apollos, you, you, you get it, but you don't, what, what do you mean I don't quite get it? Look, look at what I'm doing here. And, and you, by the way, Priscilla, are a woman. What are you doing telling me, a man, uh, about, about this way? And I, and I understand the scripture. Did, did Apollos handle it that way? Apollos, it, it speaks to what Apollos was characterized by, what, what, how he could be categorized by others. As God looks down upon him, he was a man who was fervent in God's way of life, but he didn't have the, 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 the full picture. But his neck was, was, was loose. It, it wasn't stiff. And he, he took in that instruction uh, from Aquila and Priscilla. It says they both, I mean, was, was Priscilla standing there uh, beside Aquila and supporting him fully as he did all the talking? Or was Priscilla probably saying a few things too? 
I, I think it was probably the latter. They were interacting with him, and, and, and Apollos was very receptive to that instruction. He was very receptive to that constructive criticism about a, a, different, a different way of life, a more full, fuller understanding of, of, of what the truth was. Verse 27, and when he desired uh, to cross Achaia, that's a southern part of, of Asia down in, in Greece, uh, southern part of Asia, southern part of Greece, uh, he, it says, uh, the brethren wrote exhorting the dis- disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, speaking of Apollos, as, as he was taught and understood the more, the, the more full understanding of this way of life, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the anointed one. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. Uh, very, very positive example that that uh, that speaks of this Apollos. Let's go to uh, a passage that is not so positive. Uh, let's go to Second Chronicles 15, and I think this is one upon which I reflect uh, from time to time. And we think of another one while we're turning there. Uh, here, here, look how God used Moses uh, so mightily. Uh, as as being the human instrument through whom God worked to take down an entire uh, well an entire nation with uh, Pharaoh, one of the most powerful people, if not the most powerful uh, person in the world at that time, he was definitely one of the the more powerful people but god God took that whole nation down through Moses, and yet his son in law came and saw how Moses was doing things his son in law his father in law came and said, you know, Moses, what, what you're doing? This is not good. What do you mean this is not good? God is working through me to, to serve these millions here. And, you're, and look what he did as, as he delivered us uh, through the Red Sea and defeated the armies. of He did that through me. And you're here to tell me I'm not setting things up right? Of course, Moses didn't do that. He completely received that. Moses was meek. And, and God, uh, God worked through Moses mightily. He took that constructive criticism that his father-in-law, uh, Jethro, who loved him, gave him. A uh, very, very positive example. So let's look at Second, uh, Second Chronicles, Chronicles 15. Second Chronicles 15. I, I, I think it's important to recognize this because this could speak to any of us no matter what our age. Second Chronicles 15, Asa was one who did right in the eyes of the Lord. Second Chronicles 15, verse 1, Now the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Eternal is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will forsake you. He gave a charge uh, to Asa as, as he talks about uh, some of the issues that, that uh, Israel, uh, well, ultimately here, uh, Judah, had, had experienced. So he says in verse 7, this is his charge, But you, Asa, you be strong and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Verse 8, And, and when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of, of Oded, the prophet, Asa took courage, and he, he removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities which he had taken in the mountains of Ephraim. And he restored the altar of the eternal uh, that, uh, that was before the vestibule of the Lord. He gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those who dwelt with them from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon, for they, they came over to him in great numbers from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. So even from the, the, the northern tribes, they're coming over and, and they want to be in his presence. They want to be a part of something that is, is godly. Uh, it, it says uh, about uh, offerings they offered to the Lord at that time, 700 bulls and 7,000 sheep from the spoil they had brought. They entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, verse 12, the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. And whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was to be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. 
So they took this oath. In verse 15, all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their soul. And he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. He even removed Makkah, the mother of Asa, the king from being queen mother, because she had made an obscene image of Asherah. And Asa cut down her obscene image and crushed and burned it in the, in the brook Kidron. So all of these things happened, and there was no war, verse 19, until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. God used this man mightily as he totally devoted himself to him. He had one of the prophets come to him and say, you do this and God will be with you. And boy, he did it. And, and, and they had rest. But then they, they had their trial, their, their, their test, their challenge. He had his personal test, his personal trial that he was to face. Uh, verse, verses 1 through 5, we won't read that, but it talks about uh, what is about to happen, and, and nations are jockeying for power, and, and, and he sees the, the potential of, of going to war. And Asa decides to be politically savvy here, and he says, you know what, I'm going to make a treaty with Syria, and that way that will offset this uh, and, and this, and, and maybe we'll, have, we'll, have, uh, we'll be able to stay out of this, this, this war and, and be delivered. Uh, so he says here, uh, after he did this, he gets some criticism. He gets some criticism by a prophet of God who is speaking what God once spoken to Asa. Let's pick it up here in verse 7. And at that time, Hanani, the seer, 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 came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Asa, you know, because you've relied on the king of Syria, and instead of relying on the eternal your God, Therefore, the army of the king of, Assy- the king of Syria has escaped from your hands. Verse 8, were the Ethiopians and the Lubim not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the, the Lord in those situations, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Well, wait, my, my heart has been loyal to him, you know, he's thinking here. And, and here comes the criticism, the criticism that's coming to the king with, with whom, through whom God worked to deliver Judah and, and, and make them a great nation and give them rest. He says to him, in this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you're going to have wars because of this, Asa. What did Asa do? He received con- criticism. He could have done what David did and uh, when, when it was made clear the, of, of David's three options, he could have humbled himself before God and said, I have sinned. I have sinned, I have sinned grievously. In this role, I should not have done this. And gone to God, talked to the prophet, gone to God, and, and repented uh, bitterly before God. And, and if this be the consequence, God, so be it. If you are merciful, please, in your great mercy, God, uh, consider this and, and be gentle with us as we go forward. This happened on my watch because of my decision, and Israel is, uh, and Judah, is, uh, the, the southern kingdom, is going to suffer because of that. Please forgive me. It didn't happen, did it? At that point of criticism, he went a completely different direction. Verse 10, Asa was angry with the seer, put him in prison, for he was enraged at him because of this. And Asa even oppressed some of the people at that time. It can happen, brother. It can happen to any of us in situations in our lives when, when, when we're faced with uh, issues uh, that, that could be as serious as this or, or something maybe that others would not consider necessarily as serious. But, but when that happens, how do we handle it? He says in verse 12, in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet and his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he didn't seek the the eternal, but he only sought the physicians. And he died. He died. And that's, that's how he is remembered. The criticism and the response that, that he gave to the criticism Let's go back uh, as we discuss this and, and discuss another element before moving on. Let's go back to Proverbs 14. Proverbs 14. There is uh, an element 
to criticism. As, as we said earlier, you know, sometimes we are criticized for something that we did not do. As we look objectively at the situation, we recognize, no, uh, I, yes, I am being criticized for this, but, but objectively, as I look at it, I'm, I'm being attacked for something that I did not do, and I'm being uh, wrongly uh, accused. It's important for us as God's people to to judge righteous judgment, to see situations and to discern uh, effectively as we take a look at our own heart and our own motivation. And and sometimes uh, there there are situations where we are completely misjudged. And if we if we go with every criticism that that comes our way, we can get. Uh, batted about, uh, as it talks about in Ephesians 4, by every wind of doctrine. We can get knocked around uh, in in our lives uh, and and not rest on the the things that are true and right. Proverbs 14, verse 6. Proverbs 14, 6. God expects us to do this as well. Um, He says, a scoffer seeks wisdom and, and does not find it, but knowledge is easy to him who understands. He says, go from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but the folly of fools is deceit. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his or her way, to understand our motivations, to ask God for clarity in what our motivation is. Are and, and to also realize that there are going to be people who are scoffers, people that, that come and attack us. And, and as, we, as we discern and, and evaluate it, we realize this person speaks about what he or she does not know. In fact, they are, they are acting in, in, in a way that is foolish. Uh, otherwise, that can eat us up, too. We remember, of course, that, that uh, Satan also accuses, and he uses his agents to accuse he can sometimes use others in the church who are caught up in this or this or this to accuse us. Uh, this, this thing's happened. Right? He can use us. Satan can get, take advantage of us and use us to accuse others of God's people. Uh, we, can, we can fall into that. But we are to bear with one another in love. Uh, and we are not to be hypercritical of one another in fear and distrust. But, but there is this element of judging. Remember what he said to in Hebrews five about uh, the the needing needing really should be eating meat, but they they need they need milk. There's that statement that he made that uh, our senses should be exercised to discern both good and evil, and sometimes it takes. Uh, going to another person who knows us that that sees a situation and, and can can help us evaluate whether we're assessing something properly to understand whether I should uh, take this this attack take this criticism uh, or if it is something that's unfounded but but all of our ability to discern that is is tied to our spiritual maturity and whether we're able to chomp on meat or, or if we're still in the milk phase. So, so moving to the next part of, of the message then. So when you and I receive criticism, how, how many of you have been criticized for something in the last year? Anybody? Has anybody? How many have been criticized for something in the last week? Okay, my hand's still up. Okay, just, just wanted, okay, okay, good. Just wanted to know. Uh, all right, uh, so when we, when we receive criticism and, and we've assessed that the criticism, the critiquing, the, the uh, evaluation uh, has merit. It could involve correction that we've received for it. It could involve some instruction that is paired with the criticism. How do we handle it? How, how did you handle it? How do you handle it in your job? How do you handle it from a spouse? How do you handle it from another member, uh, from a family member? You know, uh, in, 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 to some respect... We, we want to self-correct, but, but even that term is a, is a bit tricky in defining what, it, what is self-correction. Because if we're seeking God's guidance, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, it's profitable for reproof, it's profitable for correction, it's profitable for instruction in righteousness. If, if we are reading and thinking and, and using God's word as God in, intends us to, it 
corrects us. And well, through that, we, we correct, but, but we correct our lives as we read that. But is that, is that self-correction or is that asking God to correct us and God corrects us and we yield to that? Uh, I, I think that's probably a, a more accurate way of saying uh, how we, quote, self-correct. It is through, through God, which then takes us to that next step of if you and I aren't reading the Bible— if, if, if there are those of us here who claim to be Christians, who claim to be followers of Christ, and you didn't open your Bible this past week, and I didn't open my Bible this week, what am I saying to God? Don't instruct me. I don't want your instruction. I don't want your correction. I don't want it. Uh, I, I can handle things myself because I'm cool hand Luke. I got it going on. I can eat a lot of eggs. <laughs> so we, we, don't, we don't want to be in that situation. So we must, uh, we must power through God's word and seek that, and he will give us that, and, and he does. And I know uh, most, if, if not everyone in here, is, is striving to do that. We ask God, teach me, instruct me, make, help me make my neck soft to where I can absorb uh, what you you teach me because I I want to be more and more like you. So so God's word as we read it it instructs us and sometimes corrects us then we then we turn what do we what do we do when though as as we talked earlier in the message what do we do what's our tendency what's what's our default what's my default when when I get into the situation where I, I'm recognizing, either through reading God's word or somebody's come to us and, and said, you know, this, this, this is off here. This needs to be righted. Uh, how, do we, how do we handle that? Do we sulk? Uh, do, do, we, do we sink into the depths of despair? Do we tend to become a little bit defensive in those situations? Do we make excuses? Uh, do we sometimes uh, laugh it off? Do we sometimes just ignore it. I, I don't know that I really heard anything just now. I'm, I'm, I'm still doing what, what I'm doing. Uh, do we try to shift the blame elsewhere? Do we rebel against it? Do we reach out to folks whom we know will back us up no matter what? We tend to do that. Do we flat out lie and double down on the lie? Some, some battle that. Do we tend to minimize it? And tied to minimizing it, uh, what I'm talking about is do we sometimes soften the wrong act or thought or, or words uh, with, with softened descriptions of the deed? Uh, I, I let it get to me. I let it get to me. I probably shouldn't have done that. Uh, he or she pushed me beyond my limit. Uh, that, that's a way of softening what, what we did. Uh, for which we were accused. I, I fell off the wagon. I, I had a little slip-up. I had a little slip-up on this. Uh, you know, he or she, they just they, they wore me down, and I, and I gave in. I was tired, and I was frustrated, and uh, it, it happened. This happened, and I just saw red. That's all I saw. I had too much of a good time and, and you know, slipped up. We can, we can come up with many phrases that, that can happen sometimes when we are called on the carpet for something, either by God or by, by individuals. One of the keys that I've found that helps me avoiding the trap of moving into minimizing it or any one of these other areas, in times when we are criticized rightly, okay, correctly for what something that we have done. Uh, one of the best ways to avoid the pitfall of minimizing or excusing something that we've done is to simply do this. Use biblical terminology when we've been called on something. Uh, use biblical phraseology when we've been called on something. You know, it could be uh, maybe not a matter of sin, but uh, those of you that are that are new on the job at different different jobs and doing different things. You know, we're, we're trying to learn learn this this skill, this skill set that now all of a sudden we're thrust into. Uh, it, it could be a biblical terminology of the boss that comes and says, "You know, you did this incorrectly. You did this. You did this." Uh, what would a biblical response to that be? Uh, one biblical response would be. I am a novice. I am learning this. I, I do not understand this yet. I need, as a novice, to begin uh, to gain more and more instruction. I need more instruction so that I will be more effective in this way. That, that, that's biblical. That's biblical. It, novices don't know everything, but they are, they are humble and they realize they are 
needing instruction in order to improve. The boss didn't, didn't treat me maybe in exactly the way I would have liked to have received that, but I'm a novice and I need instruction. So this is ultimately good for me. I've got to view it from that point. Uh, we make a mistake at work or whatever, and, and we recognize I should have sought wise counsel before acting and making this decision. That, that's biblical. I, I, I did this. I, I, yeah, I slipped up. I did, but no, 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 wait. I should have sought wise counsel, and I didn't do that. That, that gives clarity to it. Uh, I neglected to count the cost of my action. That's a biblical term, a bi- biblical phrase. Think of it in that way. I didn't act prudently. I acted presumptuously. Some of those kinds of things. And, and then we, when we move into sin, if we're called on the carpet, uh, call it what it is. Use the biblical terminology. Uh, that, that convicts us of sin so that we repent of that. I sinned. I lusted. I lusted in this situation. I coveted this. I was drunk. I had a bit too much. You know, we were having a good time. No, no. I was drunk. Drunkenness is a sin. Drunkenness is, is, are, are the traits of someone who will not be in the kingdom of God. I must repent of that and turn from that. That's sin. I rejected or I refused correction and I acted foolishly. I acted as a fool. I rebelled against right teaching. You know what I'm saying? That's clarity. That's biblical clarity that we call it what it is when we we err. I rebelled. Uh, I I was self-willed. I didn't act out of love. I, I realize now I acted out of selfishness. Those are all biblical kinds of terms that bring clarity to a situation to help us receive that instruction and correction and and turn from that. I I allowed this to become an idol because I put this, whatever it is, in front of obeying God. That's what happened. I broke the blank commandment. Uh, I, I got to call it what it is. I committed adultery in my mind. I thought this, or I, I did this. I, I, I committed fornication uh, physically or, or, or spiritually, uh, fornication, or, or in, in terms of in the mind, spiritual idolatry. I broke the first commandment. I bore false witness. I did not show honor to my parents in this situation. I behaved towards them disrespectfully. I just broke the fifth commandment. I need to, and, and I've been corrected from, by my parents for this. I, I will turn to God and ask for his forgiveness. I became angry. I be, became enraged. And I became wrathful and condemning. I allowed myself to enter into the realm of Satan the devil in, in, in thinking in that way. And I have sinned. Help me turn from that. You know what I'm saying? I, I, could, I could go on and on. But doing that uh, helps us, and I strive to do that. If, if any of these ha- were, were to happen to me, I strive to do that and put it in those terms because that gives, brings such clarity to that and in and, and, and realizing that it, it's coming to me in such a way that it, it helps... W- Think about that in our relationship with God, of getting right with God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So we, we take those things, we acknowledge them, and then we set about implementing the opposite, godly, biblically-based behavior. That's, that's, our, that's our process. Let's, uh, let's, look at, uh, let's look at Genesis 4. Genesis 4. Do we... When, when things happen and, and, and a person comes to us under, under various situations uh, for, uh, for striving to correct us, do we, see, do we see the exhortation that's there? Sometimes the exhortation, the encouragement that, that's there, it doesn't jump out at us, but do we see, can we see how God is encouraging us? We see that in, in the situation with Cain. Cain's uh, offering was not respected by God. Uh, we can... We can guess or we can uh, hypothesize what exactly was going on there. I think there are several possibilities. But notice how God deals with him. And think about this from the standpoint of criticism. God criticized him here. He corrected him. And he instructed him at the same time. And in that, there was exhortation. There was encouragement. There was the, you can do it, Cain. You, 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 can, you can get a handle on this. Um, Genesis 4, verse 5, uh, he didn't respect Cain's offering. Cain's count, he was very 
very angry. That was one of his reactions, sulking a bit here, very angry. His countenance fell, not, not the kind of response that he should have as his spiritual father in heaven is correcting him. So the eternal said to Cain, why are you so angry? Why, why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, you'll, will you not be accepted? If you don't do well, sin lies at the door. Its desire is for you, Cain. Sin's desire is for you. It's for you and me. It's, it's there at the door. But he says, but you should rule over it. You, here it is. You can do it, Cain. You, you can rule over it. And, and I, as, as your father in heaven, or in this case, it would have been Christ who was interacting with him, uh, you, you can rule over this. Uh, acknowledge what happened, recover from it, and go forward. We see the, the Corinthians uh, doing that. Paul hated to have to correct them, but, but he said he did it out of love for them. He, he did it out of the d- deep desire for them to, to improve, to, to do better, to have the right approach, and they did. Look, look for the exhortation. Look for the correction. Look for the criticism, and, and look for the, the exhortation that is there to turn. Let's turn uh, finally today over to Proverbs 15. I had a, a little bit of that this, this week, uh, as, uh, and it, it didn't involve sin, uh, but it was with the Life, Hope, and Truth uh, program that I was a part of. It was, it, was a, it was supposed to be an interview. It was the first interview that they were doing. So uh, Mr. James Capo was the interviewer, and I was the interviewee, and it was note-free. And we were just, you know, supposed to, to be there and just have a conversation about the meaning of the holy days and their hope and, and all of that. So, uh, you know, just, I, I just cannot uh, describe to you the stress of realizing there are cameras everywhere and there are people there. And, you know, you're sitting down and your collar's got to be a certain way because the collar starts to come down. And then this comes up and then the microphone goes over here. And if you turn a certain way, then your shirt opens up and, uh, you know, it, it's just... You have to all be like this. Now, now let's have a conversation. It was very, very stressful. And I'm not the best at just having quick thoughts and, and okay, let me just think, how do I want to say this in a very brief and concise way without memorizing it and without looking down at my little cheat sheet. And as you can tell, like right now, I'm rambling all over the place trying to get to a point. That, that's kind of the way I felt. And, and that was the kind of the evaluation at the end of it. So we broke for lunch, and okay, uh, you know, Clyde and, and the team, they, they were great, but they were saying, now, try to do this, try to think this, try to think this. And it was halftime, it was halftime, and I was thinking, man, I'm down like 47 to 2. Uh, we got a safety, and that's all we did. Uh, so I went into the, to the bathroom, and they're, they're eating lunch. I went into the bathroom, and nobody came into the bathroom, and I stood in the bathroom in front of the sink and was just concentrating and thinking through for about 20 minutes. And then finally, another man came in the bathroom, and I washed my hands really quickly and, and got out. But just to try to, to think on that level and to do that in the pressure of the situation, it was very challenging. But at the same time, I had to just... God, you'll help me, and it's, it's probably not going to be the best uh, program ever, but, but help me, and, and he helped me. He helped me. It wasn't, it wasn't wonderful, but I did much better the second half than I did in the first half, but it involved criticism, and I, and I had to take it. I had to take it. Not that I didn't want to take it, but it's part of, it's part of growth. So I ask us as we go forward in, in our lives as, as, as we'll have more challenges and, and we will be constructively criticized and sometimes not so constructively criticized, uh, are, are we eager for it, for, for how it helps us? Proverbs 15, this is the second anchor scripture with which we'll conclude. Proverbs 15, verse 31. Proverbs 15, verse 31. The ear that hears the rebukes of life. We're going to hear more rebukes of life. How are our ears? Are our ears literally growing larger as we get older so where we can hear uh, the rebukes of life? Because the ear that hears uh, the rebukes of life will abide among the wise. But he who ignores, he who disdains instruction you know, ultimately despises his own soul. He who heeds rebuke gets understanding, and the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. 
and before honor is humility. Think about that as, you, as we all head to the locker room for halftime and get ready to come out for the final half.